Okay, Galatians 4. I'm going to read verse 4 and 5, and then I'll take you to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and cover uh, about 12 verses there. Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. You might want to keep your bookmark here for later purposes as well. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she, who was called barren, is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord may be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Heavenly Father, we do come before you at this time with much praise in our heart for who you are and what you've done for us. Nothing, I think, perhaps heightens it than these holidays that remind us of the birth of Christ and in three, four months we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Significant things in our life. For our Savior was sent to us, and what a gift that is. And our Savior died for us. What a gift that is. We are, of all people on this earth, most blessed. And we meet in this place today to worship you, to adore that beautiful name, that name Jesus. What a beautiful thing you have done. And as we spend time together in your word, looking at these things again, I pray that you do just what you've done before to those Emmaus disciples. Warm our hearts when we hear from you. Draw us closer to you and help us to see and understand and adore you all the more, we pray. Thank you for our time right now that we can look into your word. We're the privilege of looking into your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Have you felt the last few weeks or months to be kind of crazy? I could guess by a lot of you, you've seen a lot. We've had this kind of week, haven't we? This last week, some of, like Dale's family. I mean, people going in airplanes all over the place to get things accomplished for Ellie. We, we look at, you know, events in this last month with Dorothy and the Strex and all these. If you step and look back at all that has happened with the folks in this fellowship in the last six months, eight months, year, wow, has that been a lot of activity. We could write a book, folks. The events of the life of the folks in Hillsdale. Right? Amazing things. Now, when we read or when we, you know, look at such passages like this before us, and your pastor stands up here and says, you know, God is orchestrating these things. God is in control of time. The events are known to him because he's omniscient. These things come about by His power, for His will, for our good, for His glory. And then you put it down next to what you have just experienced. There are some people, and maybe sometimes it's us too, who stop and say, Lord, I don't know how these two things correspond. How can we see so clearly in Your Word, Your sovereignty, and then our experiences sometimes makes us a Really? This is hard stuff. Is this really part of God's plan or is it something else? I don't know if whatever that something else is. I step back and say, it's part of God's plan. And when I go through these passages, I don't seek to be clever. I don't seek to embellish it, though I tend to do that sometimes. I don't want to alter the text just to fit society and whatever they're thinking this week. I've been looking at this passage, and I've been studying with you for an entire year. Have you noticed? For an entire year, the wonder of our great God. We have been focusing him on Him on purpose, His attributes and His actions, and our response to those things by faith. James 5 taught us a little bit about that, right? Psalm 145 taught us a little bit about that. Lamentations has taught us a little bit about that. And here in Galatians chapter 4, it talks a lot about that. When it says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. You know, and I know, that this world has become very man-centered. Very man-centered. I see this not just in what we see in society, but I see it in the trends of theology that I look at, especially in the doctrines of what we call sanctification. That's our our Christian walk since we've been saved and how we're becoming more and more like Christ, like we should. Sanctification. I see man-centeredness in that all over the place. I see it in ecclesiology. That's a big word, too, that talks about the doctrines of the church. And what is the church, and how does it operate, and its programs, and its purpose, and all these things that Scripture says that defines the church. And I see so much man-centeredness in what's coming out, in books today, in thoughts today, in, in theological circles. And I'm very troubled with it, to tell the truth. 
I'm very troubled with an overemphasis on man and a distortion of God. And that's what we have. I'm not seeking in the sermon to correct all that. I'd love to. You got all day? We can work on it. But that's not my goal. I, I do want to counter something, though. And that is the modern rush to glorify man and trying to figure out if that somehow diminishes how great our God is. It, you obviously know me by now. I think our God is great. And I love talking about Him. And it tends to put me back in perspective of who I am and what I am and how I view this world. Is I just have to go and look at Him again. And I keep doing that. And that's what I intend to do with you this morning. Because in Galatians 4... We have a great God. His attributes are right in front of us as we see these words. His omnipotence is all-powerful. Never less than all-powerful. He's omniscient. He is all-knowing and never less than all-knowing. He doesn't need to learn one more new thing. That blows me away. I love that. He's omniscient, and it's quite visible in the Christmas story. We talked about the results of God sending His Son. The last few weeks especially, I I see verse 5 very personally. Even though I see it theologically, I see it personally because it's talking about my redemption and your redemption and our redemption that Jesus Christ came that we might be redeemed. That's a beautiful thing. That's what God had set this in motion to bring about, our redemption. It also says in verse number 5, our adoption as well. Now, we've talked about that. Go back to verse number 4. The simple statement today, God sent His Son. Let's take those four words. God sent His Son. And, this morning, let's stand in Mary's sandals for a little bit and contemplate what God has done. Let me remind you, first of all, what we have learned so far, just in this phrase in verse number 4. In the fullness of the time, God sent forth His Son. I see very clearly, our Lord is in control of time. He is in control of it. He is the Lord of it. And from that we have learned that when that time was complete, a certain time, it wasn't some random, you know, undefinable time. It was a time, a right time, a complete time, a certain time. Somebody had to know when that was. He did. And when that time came... It said, God sent. He acted. He knew right when that time was, and he knew right what action needed to be done. That's the smallest of pictures of all you'd read in Scripture of all the great things God has ever done. He knew when to do it, and he did it. What did he do? So simple. He sent his son. Born of a woman. In what setting? Under the law. For what purpose? To redeem. To adopt. 
verse number 5. So what we have already is that God knew the time. He knew when the time was ready. He had a plan to send His Son at that time. And it wasn't a minute too late. It wasn't a minute too early. That's the nature of that term, when the fullness of time came. It was the perfect timing. Perfect timing. His Son, go back to this thought, which I love talking about this too. For God to have sent His Son, His Son had to exist before He was born. Think it through. You don't send something you don't have. He sent His Son because His Son already existed. He existed prior to His birth. That's a whole wonderful world of study there too. The Son was sent though with a purpose, right? He sent His Son with a purpose. He sent His Son at the exact moment to do His Father's will. His Father had a plan. The Son came to fulfill it. How often did He say that in the Gospels? I'm here to do my Father's will. I'm here to do my Father's will. I'm here to do my Father's will. Even praying in the garden, what was his final conclusion on that? Not my will, but yours be done. That's why he came. To do his Father's will all the way through. Amazing study that would be too. So God had a plan his son would be born of a, of a woman. Yes. He set the time for that woman to be ready. We're going to start moving toward Mary here. There was a time when that woman was ready. He had to have his son born under the law. So he needed the law dominating in that setting for that to be what he had planned. He had that plan, his purpose, that through his son, he would bring about redemption and adoption. That means the plan included his death. Because that's the only way it was going to be accomplished. So even before the baby was born, God had planned it out for Jesus Christ to die. Isn't that incredible? Jesus knew that too. And he came. Call that love? Wow. He knew he came to die for us. Amazing. Amazing. God had this plan and this purpose, and where it gets real personal, is to bring us to a unique relationship with Him. It could not happen unless He did that. And He did. He adopted us through His Son. So that great purpose we're looking at, folks, in sending His Son, that we might have redemption, is because of His omniscience, His omnipotence, and His loving way of being God. That's what He's done for us. That we might receive adoption as sons. Talked to you last week about this. God sent His Son to receive us, not as servants, though we don't mind that, not as apostles, not as disciples, not even as friends, Though all of those things have their value too. He wanted us to be sons. Children who belong to Him. That's precious. Name, if you can, 
one other religion where their God wants their followers to be children who belong to their God. All of them put them in subjection. Servants, 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 servants. Our God wants us as sons. How precious is that? That's so cool. I love it. I love it. Kin with God. God sent His Son that He may be with us. That He may be like us. So that we may be like Him. So that we may be with Him. That's what God has done. I shared all this with you. Because I want you to see that picture. I've been on it for four weeks, right? You see the picture. This is the picture of Galatians 4. It is a powerful display intentionally set in motion, figured, planned, right to the very moment. This is God's view. This is what He sees. This is what He looks down at and says, this is what I do. I am very glad to say it, and I believe it with all my heart, that I have an omnipotent, omniscient, loving God, and it's right here on this page. I believe that. And He loves me enough He sent His Son for me. So go back. We have the advantage of looking back. Mary didn't have that advantage. (laughs) We've got 2,000 years we've been talking about this. It's easier for us, perhaps. We've had all this theological training for all these years. We've had history to help us understand things. For some of us, a personal relationship with Christ. Maybe you've known Him for 20 years. Maybe you've known Him for 30 years. Maybe for 40 years. Some of you for a lot more than that, perhaps. Your own personal walk with the Lord of how He has saved you and what you've learned over the years. You've come with a great appreciation for the Christmas story. You've heard it how many times? You don't have to answer that. It's been a lot. We have. Put yourself in her place. There wasn't a Christmas in her day. There wasn't a mark on the calendar to say it was coming. No Christmas trees. They weren't wrapping packages to give to somebody. No no manger scenes, of course. Nothing. It's kind of hard to step back in time and say, oh, there was a time like that. There wasn't anything revolving around the story of Mary that looks like what we do today. She did have the advantage of Old Testament scriptures. She did have the promise of the prophets. They even had another advantage that we don't have in one sense. We read about it in scripture, but the Jews lived out the Old Testament. That was the story of grandma and grandpa and great-grandma and grandpa and all the way up the family line that you read in the pages and they could trace their family line and say, oh, that was my uncle years away removed, but that was him. You know, how would you like your story like that? Old Testament stories, they, that was their life. That's what they knew. They had the history in front of them and they could see how God had worked in their midst all those years. They had the record of what God did, and they also had the record of what man did, and all the failures on man's side. And you can learn a lot from that. You can learn a lot for that. You can see where they 
recognized him or where they did not. You can see where they obeyed him or they did not. You can see where they followed him or did not. I would suggest to you something this way. In the whole Old Testament story, the godly men and women were rare, not the norm. Which brings us to this day and age, and we see something highly unusual. To see Mary and Joseph portrayed before us in Scripture as Joseph being a righteous man, and Mary being labeled highly favored by God. I would suggest to you that they were not like the rest of their world. (laughs) We're not seeing their trend of society here. These folks were godly folks. I, I would guess that maybe the majority of the Jews in their day were ignorant. I would suggest that to you, or indifferent, whatever the case might be, because we get the record of even the scribes being able to say where Jesus was born, six miles away, did not even go to see it themselves. I don't know if you call that indifference or what. Callous? Yes. Stubborn? Yes. That was the leadership in Mary and Joseph's day. They had the words of the Old Testament. They regarded cliches and traditions of greater value. They were engrossed in their world, and I think they had no sight for their God. I'll give you a simple answer to that. I'll read to you just a passage. This is what Isaiah said in chapter 8. Verse number 20, they have no dawn. That's what he said. And he said in verse number 21, and they pass through a land, and they're hard-pressed, and they're famished, and they're enraged, and they curse their God as they face upward. And he says in verse 22 of chapter 8, Isaiah says, And they look to the earth, and behold, all they see is distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they're driven away into darkness. And in chapter 9, he adds two more phrases which describe them well. He says, They walk in darkness, and they live in In a dark land. That's Mary's day. That's Mary's day. I suggest to you that Mary and Joseph were not the norm. To see their faith. And the obedience that they show. It's a beautiful sight, folks. Were they tested? Oh, yes. Yes, they were tested. Really deep tests about their faith and about their knowledge of God. Perhaps tested more than what the average events would bring. You know, we live in a day of surprises, yes. Inconveniences, often. Twists. (laughs) Tragedies, we know. Bunch of other things that make up the course of our day and change our plans. We wrestle with the cloud of uncertainty we don't understand. We say the Lord is sovereign, that He is good, that He is kind, that He's omniscient, that He's omnipotent. We say that. We read that God sent His Son. It was a perfect timing and all these things. But try standing in Mary's sandals that morning when the angel appeared. 
and try to grasp the things she had to grasp. Let me give you a picture here. It's real simple. Back in Luke. Go back to your Luke passage. Chapter 1, verse number 26. Just read it for what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. There he did it again. (laughs) He did it again. Do you want to guess it's at the right time? You bet it was. God sent Gabriel. He said, Gabriel, it's time. Go. Here's your purpose. Go. Here's the plan. Go. Gabriel went. God sent Gabriel to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. God's perfect timing here. To perform God's perfect plan to accomplish God's perfect purpose. He went to a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Unpack that little verse. Mary and Joseph were engaged. They were engaged. The plans in their society was was somewhat like this. The arrangement was made, usually between parents. Joseph, Mary, were to be married. They were announced engaged. Now, in that moment, until the wedding itself, there was usually a time. It might be a year. In that course of a year, in some cases, it was time for the husband, who would be married, to make sure his business was in order. He had to have his job. He had to have been trained. He had to have been operating. He had to make sure his business was in order to take care of his family, his wife especially. He also had to have the house set up too in one way or the other, whether it's build it or get it, whatever the case was. There were things for him to do because now he was engaged. And he had to set that in motion. What'd she have to do? Well, she was preparing to get married too, which has nothing to it for the ladies, right? She primarily had to be ready the day he showed up to claim her as his bride. Guess what? It wasn't on the calendar. Would that drive you crazy? You don't know what day your marriage is. You have no idea. When you hear the sound coming down the street of a bunch of people singing and playing instruments, and they're walking your way, you know. But up until that time... It was a guess. For the most part, it was a guess. You're not exactly sure when that would be. Mary and Joseph were engaged. Now, in this, they had everything that the legal limits had for marriage, except there was nothing physical in it. They were bound to each other legally in this process called engagement. It was as if they were married already. Mary was just waiting for the day that Joseph would arrive to claim his bride. Maybe her first thought every single morning as she woke up was, well, today might be the day. I need to be ready. I need to be ready. I don't know if you like uncertainty in that picture. (laughs) In our society, we don't do it that way, do we? We've got a lot more planning to do. But Mary did get a visitor one morning. What a surprise. It wasn't Joseph. It was an angel. 
The sight of the angel would have shocked us. I don't doubt that. Scripture shows us that a lot. He even told her not to be afraid. But I think it was interesting how she exhibited perplexity at just his greeting. When he came in and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at that statement. <laughs> favored? The Lord is with me? Interesting things to ponder as she was pondering in verse 29. And then the message came. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive. we got a sermon going here. I like that. <laughs> okay, I love that. Does your phone ever do that when you're talking and it answers your question? That's really fun, but if you say the verse loud enough, her phone would go off. Wait till she comes back. <laughs> you will conceive. That's not a question. He's not saying, hey, Mary, we got a plan. You want to help? He didn't ask her if she would participate. He said, you will conceive. All right? In your womb, you will bear a sign, and you will name him Jesus. This is omnipotence in motion. Omniscience circling all around it. Sovereignty, kindness, all in one bundle. The announcement of God sending His Son and how it will be done. It's more than just a birth announcement, folks. It speaks as well of His coronation. It speaks as well of His eternal reign. Did you see the words? He shall be great. Son of, you know, the Most High. All these things. Mary didn't know this. But after she heard this announcement, there's going to be at least 2,027 years before it's fulfilled. That's as of today. Every year we tick off another number. But it's coming. He was speaking about something that is yet to be. I still believe it will be. Because that's the way our God works. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. We're still waiting for part of these things to be fulfilled. But she heard it that day. She heard the big plan of God. What an incredible plan that is. And what did she say? How can that be? She asked a question. How can that be? <laughs> this is going to change her calendar. How can this be? How can this be since I am a virgin? Humanly, folks, she asked just what you would have asked. She asked those questions, and she only expressed one here, but she could have said why, what, when, where. All those questions we asked. When we're given something we're trying to understand. Those are typical responses to God and the things He does. 
the fact of the matter is, when we try to understand God, we know this much compared to the greatness of all that He is. Man knows so little. And we ask questions. Why? How? When? Those questions. You know what I like? She wasn't rebuked for a question. You know, God doesn't really mind these kind of questions. I think what bothers him is when we answer contrary to faith. When we say, can't be done. Or, I won't believe it. Or, no. When the day is turned upside down and maybe inside out, and you're hit with a surprise, and your day is coming apart and altered, and you know your whole life will be different, which of us haven't had a day like that? The Lord knows that we have questions. He does. But what does He still call us to do? Trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. I love the little verse, and maybe it's our theme verse for the way we live. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That was one honest man. Mary didn't disbelieve the message, folks. She didn't say, uh, no, that's not for me. She didn't say, that can't ever happen, that's impossible. She didn't say those words. She asked how. How? It was contrary to everything she knew. That's true. Boy, was she about to find out how absolutely inconvenient this was. I don't know about you, but sometimes God's plan doesn't match yours or mine. And suddenly it looks very inconvenient, doesn't it? You say, well, that's not the way I planned this out. It's not what I thought. Through. That's not what I was thinking. Think of this. The rumors wouldn't be long before Joseph heard she was with child. Go to Matthew chapter 1, you'll see that. She had to travel to Bethlehem while great with child. That's not an easy journey. There was no room for them to stop and sleep for the night. That's inconvenient. They ended up in an animal stall, and they needed a manger to put their child. That's inconvenient. I'm sure as well that that's not the way you want to pay your taxes either. Isn't that inconvenient? This is what's wrapped all around her story. The timing of the birth of a child. How many times might they have said, well, God, this was a great idea, but there was a more convenient moment for such things. This is inconvenient to us. I'm just wondering if that's how it felt at times. It's totally against the plans. But you know what Scripture says? It was at the right time. It was at the right time. God was sending His Son says in Luke chapter 135, The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. What is that? 
That's Galatians 4, verse 4. God sent his son. He says, that's what I'm doing. You want to know how this is going to happen? God is doing it. God's sending his son. Behold, you need evidence. Some people do. Go talk to your cousin Elizabeth. She's already carrying a child. She's six months in already. And that was impossible as far as the record book was concerned. But God did that too. And then verse 37. Just wrap yourself around this one. For nothing... Isn't that a cool word? Nothing will be impossible with God. That's where I stop and contemplate in this story. I stop and say, that doesn't mean I understand it. I don't always understand the situation, but it means I can trust Him. Because nothing will be impossible with God. I've said it before, but I believe that the only extent of your trust is in measure to the extent of your knowledge of Him. If you know Him very little, you're going to trust Him very little. And as you grow to know Him more, you learn to trust Him more. And sometimes, folks, we don't know why He does what He does, or when He does what He does, or what He even does when He does. But we're called to trust Him. Because it comes back to who is He and what can He do? And verse number 37 just said it. He is God and He can do anything. Right? That's a good definition. If our faith was built on circumstances, would you like that kind of faith? If your faith was built on situations, would you like that kind of faith? I would suggest that if it's built on things other than the Lord, it has no value. If it's built on the ups and downs of life and all the other things, how many caricatures of God are you going to present based on what you experience today? I would suggest most of that would be quite distorted contrary to what we read in Scripture, we, we need to center ourselves right back to where He is in these pages. These words are important to us. They help us give, again, a reference to events, to questions, to how am I going to live. We have an omnipotent, omniscient, Loving God. Those are only three of the attributes that are off the charts to talk about them all. But I take those three and I say, you know what? What he has said and what he does, I can trust him. I can trust him. Without all the questions, well, he allows the questions. He allows the questions. But we tend to view him in the course of our wants and our pleasures And not his will. Not what he said. He said these things. And he told Mary exactly what he intends to do. She asked how, and he said, I can do anything. And this is what I'm doing. And I love her response. Don't finish the story without the response. 
Verse number 38. This is a good one. Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. That's me, she said. I'm your servant. May it be done to me according to your word. That's faith. That's faith. She got a display of a sovereign God set before her. The changes that were coming, she had no idea what they would be. But when you start to study Him, and you see, whether you believe it or not, folks, He is sovereign. And you will see, He doesn't change who He is. And He doesn't change in what He does. I find a consistent God all the way through Scripture, and He's still that way today. And that means I can trust Him right now. And so can you. And we can stand and say these things that Mary said, even though we may be caught in some sort of a whirlwind of sorts. I'm a servant of the Lord, and He does great things, and so may it be done according to His Word. May it be done. I would suggest that you would be among the few in our world today to live and think like that. God sent His Son for a purpose. God sent His Son to redeem me, to adopt me, to bring me, this is what it comes down to, to bring me to a relationship with Him. It wasn't so that I would just have a good day on December 25th. It was so that I'd have a good forever with him. That's what he planned. Who am I that he would love me like that? Who are, uh, who are we that he should care to do that? To send his son. And who are we to stop and say no to him when he's operating in our life? Because guess what he's going to bring us to? the ultimate culmination of his perfect plan, that we stand in his presence looking like his son. Wow! Isn't that exciting to be part of it? May it be, Lord. May it be according to your word. So, how are you going to look at the next event? (laughs) Stop and remember who is control of time. Who's in control of time? That helps. Because that is the one you should trust. Heavenly Father, your word is magnificent. And to think that all these things come right to our very lives, our existence right now, that you should love us and send your Son What changes you made in the life of people like Mary and Joseph, shepherds and the activity of angels, wise men who came from afar, kings and priests and prophets and common folks, the blind and the lame and the deaf, even those who have died were brought back to life because of Jesus Christ. And he went to a cross and he died there on that cross 
so that I could have my sins forgiven. Then he rose from the dead so that I could have new life. And he loved me enough to call me, to save me, to redeem me, to adopt me, to work in this life of mine, to make me like him. That why someday I stand before him. And I'll see him as he is. And I shall be like him. And I shall praise him with adoration. You did all this, Lord. I say your timing is perfect. And I love it. I love what you've done. And I love who you are. And I love your sovereignty in all these things. Thank you for giving us a glimpse of that today. May we walk like that as your children. May we walk like that through the course of our day. May it be said of us that we trust our God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.